The Oil Can Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices of up to 60% off. The orders are back home on Saturday night, November 30th, against Vancouver. To get in the door at the lowest possible price for that game in the best seats available, check out GameTime. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate, download the GameTime app in Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell, along with Jonathan Willis today. John, how are you? Doing really well, Al. How's, how's the weather? It's beautiful here, like insanely good. I'm afraid it's so good. And apparently we're going to get cooler or warmer temperatures here for the next week or so. Are you experiencing some of that where you are? Oh, it's it's been great. It's been minus 25 for the last week, which let me tell you, is a real welcome change from the, the 50 below I'm used to. But I'm like you. I'm nervous about it because Mother Nature, she's she's fickle. She tries to lull you into the false sense of security while she reaches for the rock. So I'm, I'm not taking it for granted. It's totally it. It's always been like that, and it, uh, it continues to this day. Uh, all right, so there's lots to get to here today. First of all, uh, we, we should mention that our friend uh, Daniel uh, Nugent Bowman is off to, uh, where is he flying to? He, he's like the jet setter of our group. Yeah, I think he's off to Palm Springs or to, oh, it's, it's Bakersfield. That's right. So ah. it's a little less exciting, but it's funny, actually. You know, he's going to miss some decent weather for November, uh, living it up in California. Yeah, so it'll be nice to, to, to go down there and check out the condors. Do you know that, uh, have you ever seen the film North by Northwest? No, Al, I am a, I'm a hopeless rube. I've never watched a Hitchcock <laughs> film or a Cary Grant film. <laughs> of, of course, I, I, if, if I hadn't, I would have had to go see it the eighth or ninth time you referenced it in the last, oh. last 10 years here. So it, it's well, a favorite. I, I love North by Northwest. Okay, the the scene where, where Grant is running away from the... the uh, a dust cropper airplane uh, that's filmed. I mean, within spitting distance of Bakersfield, California. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, it's uh, if you need useless information, John, you've you've come to the right spot. But yeah, that's uh, uh, the little known fact about that particular scene, and it's a pretty cool scene too, unless you're driving you know, that uh, truck. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to turn this into a cinema contest. Uh, podcast but another little known fact about north by northwest i believe the mount rushmore scenes were actually filmed at mount rushmore <sighs> you're kidding. crazy crazy i know little known facts uh yeah yeah nutty stuff but the un scenes were not filmed at the un <laughs> all right enough of that uh there's a lot there is a lot to get to so uh let's talk about today's news, which is Joel Pearson getting demoted. Uh, Larson told the media he'll be back on Thursday. Uh, and it sets up an interesting situation here because I think Caleb Jones has played pretty well. He's the obvious guy to go down and then you leave Manning as the, the seventh defenseman. As I've set it up, do you agree with that scenario? I think so. There's, there's actually a lot of stuff there between, between Larson and Pearson and, and Jones and the shape of the defense going forward. There's, there's a whole bunch of different interesting facets to this story. And to pick the one that I'm, I'm going to throw you a loop here and answer your actual question. 
the one you've chosen. <laughs> I, I I think when when people look at it, I don't think there's any doubt that Clefbaum, Nurse, Bear, and Larson are going to play, right? So that's four spots, and that leaves you with the Manning, Jones, or or Russell for the scratch. I actually think you can make a case that Chris Russell should be the guy out, and you run Jones Benning as your third pair. But the problem I have with it is, I also think you can make a case that Chris Russell is pretty much the ideal candidate for a midseason trade for a pricey forward, if if that deal is in fact out there. Uh, people are always looking for um, quality defensemen, and, and Russell, I, I know he's a, a polarizing player in Edmonton. I think he's been good in the third pair role this year. And if you're looking at that, I don't think you want to scratch him. And and you know it's it's always difficult to to scratch a four million dollar veteran anyway. You're not going to scratch a 22-year-old defenseman for any length of time, so Jones isn't going to see a lot of time in the press box. I think you end up with Matt Benning scratched by default, and it's a bit of a shame because Benning, to me, has been real quality in that third-pair role, and I don't, I don't have any issues at all with him there. Is, is that sort of how you see the logic? Well, I, I think we're reaching a point here where... The, you're, you're, you're absolutely going to have to move someone. And your point about Russell is an excellent one. And, and the reason why I think it's it's a, a strong idea now is that if if the owners decide they're going to go out and get a, a number three center, which we're going to talk about, we can talk about here if you like, because Shahan, not quite what you're looking for in that number three role, having Benning at 1.9 and Russell at 4 million sort of gives the Oilers two different types of players that they can trade for. Uh, and I'll use Froelich in Calgary as an example, and then a less expensive, uh, you know, checking center for Benning, uh, who we could choose from, from other spots on, on an NHL roster. But if you're, you're Ken Holland, you're going out and you're trying to match dollars. You've got one guy at two and one guy at four. And the way this roster is setting up now and the way, way Jones and bear and now Larson, uh, have come in and played. It gives you enough here, I think, where you can you, you can probably go out and get that guy. And the the team's record is strong enough. I think you, you wouldn't necessarily uh, be accused of mortgaging the future. They 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 appear to have as good a shot now as they did in the fall of 2016. Uh, and Peter Shirelli was criticized for only getting DeHarnay as the the spring went along. So I I like the idea of Russell or Benning. Uh, being an option for trade, they're going to have to make room here for these players who are establishing themselves. And obviously the third pair is the one to go with, I think. I think that's legitimate. And and you're right to highlight that there's an element of flexibility here. One of the things I pointed out in a piece a while back now is that there's been a lot more trades in this fall session as, as teams have figured out how to make the salary cap work, but your options are, you know, greatly reduced. If you're, if you're going with a guy from one price point, you need dollars in dollars out. So having the two options, it's a lot more interesting. And, and I think especially if you're looking at something like just to, to pick the name you, you rolled with uh, Michael Froelich, or we could, we could throw Matthew Perot in Winnipeg in there. He'd be the same sort of category player. If you're trading Russell for a guy like that, there's not going to be any criticism of, um, you know, suddenly adopting a win now mortgage the future mentality. I think everybody sees the, the writing on the wall on defense that minutes are going to be transitioned to the younger players and that the younger players deserve it. What what makes this easy, I think, is the performance of Caleb Jones. So coming into camp last year, I was one of the many, many people who believed that Jones was NHL ready through two games. I think he's shown that. Um 
I, I, I didn't track his game against Dallas as closely as I did his, his first game, which I did shift by shift, but he's, he's just a tremendous talent who does so many things well. And I think right now today, he's inarguably one of the six best defensemen in the organization in terms of winning games in the here and now. So that being the case, you need to find room for him. And, you know, both, both, uh, Russell and Benning are, are, capable of or should be in a in a starting six i think on on most teams in the nhl so the the trade's the obvious solution uh, a third line center if you can get it i think would be the ideal target if not a, a pricier winger who can play a top six or a middle six role is also a, a completely legitimate acquisition the the winnipeg jets are i mean they're probably even more attractive as an option that the fit is there they have some real needs and and uh perot is a guy who uh you know he's 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 not inexpensive, but he would be a nice fit for this order roster. Do you, do you like him over for a leak as an option? I like both guys, to be honest with you. I like Perot's versatility because you can basically dress him at any forward position. And I, I mean, I've been a Matthew Perot fanboy for a few years, but to me, what's happened with Verleek in Calgary has been really weird. I, I don't understand the usage of him the last year and a half to me he's a guy who who probably deserves more and you know i'm saying that as a person who doesn't watch calgary every day so maybe i should just just be quiet and trust bill peters here but i I think he's got more to give and um it's it's difficult to make an edmonton calgary trade but as we saw with neil lucic uh they were able to get it done this summer so maybe that is an option in season And, and you have to think that calgary would be on russell's um acceptable trade list which is one one fundamental barrier taken down right there one thing I know about Calgary fans right now is trashing Bill Peters will only get you friends. They seem to be on the the anti Lucic, anti Talbot, anti Peters uh, train right now. That's such an interesting story in Calgary. Um, I know they're better than that. I know their shooting percentage of their top line is like five percent. So maybe this is the time to go out and get that player uh, from the Calgary Flames. Uh, before we a- exit this area, though. I wanted to talk about Joel Pearson, who he looks, John, close, you know, but he's not there. And he sort of reminds me of Haas and maybe even Negard. All three guys, you can see why the scouts and Kenny Holland like them. And it's almost a matter of there's just there's just a little more required. And I think it might be time in Bakersfield for Pearson and maybe for the other two as well. But I, I like, he's close. I like him. It's just that the he was obviously the guy to send out yeah that's the thing i when you watch jones in that role with clef it's immediately apparent at least in in my viewpoint that he's bringing something that parison is not uh he's bringing speed he's bringing other factors as well i think he's a better all-around player but he's he's far more dynamic and you can't keep parison up if it's going to come at the expense of, of that quality now, Parison's in an interesting spot because he is waivers exempt, but he's also on a one-way contract. So sometimes that causes confusion with fans, but what it means is he's going to get an NHL paycheck in, in Bakersfield. Nobody can claim him on on his way down or his way back up, but he's going to be get paid a million dollars, which is suboptimal, obviously. But it's one of those situations where I think you can legitimately argue that it's 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 a worthwhile decision by the organization, even if it doesn't pan out. He's had it's always difficult with these European players adjusting to North American play, especially when it's somebody like Parison who's a little bit older, has had sort of a, a weird career arc, and is is um, entering the situation for the first time. 
So the idea that he might need time in Bakersfield was always, to me, legitimate. And the fact that he's been hurt and banged up and missed time, I, I think that just makes it more so. So yeah, give him a couple months in Bakersfield. Well, maybe not even that long if he you know really excels, but give him some time, see what he does, and then he's in your back pocket if you run into injuries or if you're looking down the line towards the end of the season and you think he can be a 6-7 guy he gives you some flexibility. So I, I think it makes sense for him to go down. I think it's good for him. I think it's good for the team. It, it's not a bad scenario at all to my mind. I wanted to talk, John, today about, I do this probably once a week or so, but the five-on-five on ice, McDavid on, off. This year, he's plus 10, 26-16, and when, when McDavid's on the ice, uh, and when they're off, they're minus eight. A year ago, at the same time, McDavid was plus six and they were minus 12. So both on and off their superior this year at five on five, the gap is, is less minus eight with McDavid off the ice now minus 12 a year ago, but McDavid's also improved. His numbers have improved from plus six, six to plus 10. So, uh, I, I think they're getting somewhere. I especially think the Nuge line and maybe even the Haas line seems to be getting closer. And that, I guess, dovetails into our uh, number three center idea that we talked about a minute ago. But, you know, you're, you're sort of improving uh, uh, not in leaps and bounds, but step by step here at five on five. But it does appear that there's some improvement here with McDavid off the ice so far this year. Some, yeah, but it's it's hard to know how much of that's the skaters and how much of it's just the goaltending, right? Right. It, they <laughs> they did not have the luxury of quality goaltending a year ago at this point. Right. I guess at this point, this was uh, when Miko Koskinen was riding high. So there was a, a little bubble there where they did. But it, it, I, I think they just transitioned away from Cam Talbot without, without looking. That's how I remember it. And um, he, he was not delivering. Whereas this year... Well, I'm not looking at the numbers with McDavid off, but with McDavid on the ice, like he's got a 106 PDO. That line's shooting 14% and has a 924 save percentage at at five on five. If that 924 number lasts, which it, it might, it would be the best number of his Oilers career and matched only by the 924 that he had on in 2016-17 when they when Cam Talbot was so good for them and they made the postseason. So I'm, I'm skeptical that they've really done a lot with the, the bottom six. I think Nuge has been better. I think you're right to point that out. But uh, a lot of this to me looks like goaltending. It, it's, I, I always get back to, it, it's it's like you've, the Oilers under Holland and Tippett made a, a decision. They were going to do about three things. One of which is have two goalies that they trusted. Secondly, they were going to take all the unproven kids away from the forward group and replace them with penalty killers and try to suppress shots at five on five, but give up or at least not add offense to it. Uh, and, and they've sort of those two things. Plus I think that I, I'm, I'm actually really warming up to this defensive group and it has improved it. But but your 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 point there about don't know if you trust it. I think that's the universal Euler observer and fan <laughs> situation right now, where you're like you're walking or you're buying a car and it looks good, you like it, and you want to get into it, but you're afraid if you close the door, all the doors will fall off, and so will the fenders. It's almost like there's been, you know, there's been something about false hope in the last decade or so. <laughs> it's almost like that's been a story. I, I guess the one thing I wonder about, and it, this really ties in with what you're you're presenting, and I'll just ask you the question because it's the easiest way to do it. How much of this do you think is them going out and getting 
better goalies and more defense-minded forwards for the bottom six. And how much of it do you think is Dave Tippett? Because Tippett, you know, he's got that defensive reputation as a coach. When you watch them play, do you think that some of this goaltending number is the the, the Tippett effect? I think so, and I think that that uh, I, I want to get. We're getting close, but I want to get to a, a point where we can start to compare uh, shot suppression, like in the kill zone in that in that area, and maybe Larson will improve that. He he often has in his past because it it seems to me the things that are tippet like on this team um, are are. They remind me of the team that used to come in here and beat the Oilers when Arizona didn't have a very good club, but they could somehow always uh, beat Edmonton. They frustrate you. Uh, they get a goal, and then they're harder to play against, and that's all Tippett. I am I would very much like to know, and obviously they're not going to tell us, but there are players they brought in that are Tippett types who haven't performed well, like Archibald, for instance, but it doesn't seem to have mattered. They still have the Tippett presence especially when that bottom six is on the ice. Like Shahan's line has struggled. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but they're good penalty killers and they do a lot of the things that Tippett is known for. So I'd be, I'd be so interested in knowing if he feels like he he's comfortable with this group or if he could add one or two things, what they might be. Because in all honesty, I, I Granlund and, and Archibald, uh, who have spent time on that line with Shahan and Shahan himself are, they're being asked to do a little bit more. They're, they're taking on a little bit more of the, the difficult minutes, but that line itself has not done well, uh, but everybody else seems to have done very well. Well, and we, if, if it wasn't for the fact that Kara had such a good game against Dallas, I think we'd be lumping him in with that group, but you, you know, yep. he scored two goals and this bottom six, that's, that's a huge chunk. Uh, I'll, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is on the Shayan line. Cause I agree with you that all of that group as a whole has been disappointing this year. The Oilers have been getting stomped when they're on the ice. They are doing tough work, but you know, like you said, it, the results are not what they need to be. If I had to bet, I would say the one guy who Tippett is comfortable with, and I think we've seen plenty of signs of this, is Patrick Russell, which yes. to me, like, it's fantastic that he's been able to come carve out a, a slot in here and outperform a lot of guys who you know were NHL names brought in over the summer. And it, it looks to me like Russell has a lot more of the coach's trust than a lot of those guys that, you know, they sort of handpicked. He's, you know, it's funny. I remember uh, Don Cherry talking once uh, upon a time about a, a defenseman uh, that he had on the Bruins, Dennis O'Brien. And th there was a play that he loved where he always told O'Brien, if there's a problem, just ring it around the boards and send it out. <laughs> and so O'Brien comes back. It's a line change. Nobody's on the ice. He comes behind the net. The, the puck's behind the net. He sees it. Everybody's changing. And he still rings it out. And for Cherry, that was the, that was, he loved it. He loved that player because he knew that his player was listening. And I think Patrick Russell is, I think every guy who's ever coached him must love him because he plays like every shift might be his last. And, you know, if he, and I, I don't want to insult him, so I'm not going to say it in a, in a negative way. But because he works so hard and works so smart, he gets some more 10 bell chances than any fourth line rookie I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's funny. He hasn't really, ca well, I mean, he cashed in on a bunch in the preseason, but the offensive results haven't been there. But to me, he's a guy who keeps getting looks and we'll see if that lasts and if it turns. Because I don't, and, and again, I don't mean this in a critical way. I think in terms of finishing ability, he's well down the list of Oilers forwards, but he, he does get looks. The other thing that really impresses me about him is 
compared to his actual skating ability, he gets way more uh, forecheck chances than you would think he should. Like ideally, you know, you're forechecking forward. You want somebody who's just uh, as fast as can be and, and huge. And, and Russell's, you know, he's reasonably big, but he's he's not he's not a monster and he's not super fast. But he wins a ton of battles, and I I really think that's one of the things that um, endears him to his coach. Yeah, he's he's been a revelation. It's funny because the he and Ethan Bear, I think, are are proof that Woodcroft. Is, as long as they can keep him down there, and I don't know how long that will be, but he seems to be sending some pretty, uh, pretty solid and ready players uh, to the NHL. And I guess in the the two games that we've seen Caleb Jones, we can say the same thing. But I'm I'm pleased with Russell because he's he's from that group of players where, uh, and I'll include Joe Gambardella and Josh Curry in it, although we haven't seen them this year. If your if your minority team is working out, those are the recalls that come up and can do a job and to help you out. And Russell's coming up. I mean, has he played nineteen games? I know he's played a lot of games, uh, and he's like, I, I have to say, if if they were going to send somebody now down today from the forward group and it was Russell, I think you'd get legit surprise from people. Yeah, because well, and, and partly that's Russell's performance. I I like I don't I don't want to overstate the case here. I think he's proven himself a decent fourth line forward right but um there's a bunch of guys Granlund at the top near the top of the list Archibald in there somewhere too who haven't been able to do even that and uh yeah it it would be a surprise if he were to go down you know how you keep Woodcroft in Bakersfield forever right Al you know what the trick is you just keep giving him sub 900 save percentage goalies (laughs) Because <laughs> I, I I look at Bakersfield this year and the record is not good at all. But then you look at the no. goaltenders and it's like, well, Stuart Stuart Skinner with an 898 save percentage is your your starter, and uh, it's it's clearly causing problems for them. He's um, he's 921 in his last four or five, but he started out very bad. Um, I see. Now that's that's a good point to make because I'm just yeah. quoting the overall. Do we number. know what's going on with Shane Starrett? Because I heard it was a like a shorter term injury, and it's been a while now. We'll, we'll put that on Daniel's uh, interview yeah. list. That's because he's he's traveling today, right? Like I think he's sitting. Down yeah, with I think he is. Tomorrow. He's. Uh, he's uh, um, I, I'm always afraid when you go to California. There's so much to do. I'm always afraid he's just going to throw his cell phone in the bay, and and you know we'll hear <laughs> six months later we'll get a call from him. You know what I mean? Well, if we if we email him really quick, maybe he can add that to his <laughs> to his list for Woodcroft or our wish list. There you go. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about, and I know you've got something you want to get to as well, uh, but I, I I remember the last San Jose game and how poorly the, the, the result was poor, and I thought the Oilers played badly. They're going back in there, and they're a pretty proud group. San Jose was on a heater. They're probably at the end of that heater now. Do you Do you anticipate, if not a win, a stronger effort from the Oilers? Well, that was a bad game. So I think stronger effort, you know, if, if they come in at what their average has been this year, it'll be a stronger effort by default. I, I always wonder how much players worry about that, you know, on a bulletin board sort of, oh man, they embarrassed us. We got to get them back if it's two weeks later or whatever. To me, I, I wonder if it's not just a case of, you know, you, you kind of have that professional mindset where you're a little bit divorced from the day-to-day and you're just trying to to put in a good effort every game. I, I think they'll be better. I think it'll be a decent test for them. I actually think San Jose is a, a fairly solid team despite the record. 
and um, I, <laughs> I I tweeted this the, the game of that that I'd, I had Martin Jones on my fantasy team, and if there's if there's one thing that I knew for sure because I'd scratched him, he was he was not going to allow another goal, and then of course he allowed a bundle, but. Um, I think the San Jose's goaltending is the great equalizer. You can be down two nothing, even three nothing to San Jose, and and not necessarily be out of it just because Jonesy is such a uh, having such a difficult season. It's it's weird, and I've seen it happen. Uh, we we saw it happen for years in Carolina with Cam Ward, uh, and now at San Jose. There are other examples where teams are every they've got everything right and they can't seem to figure out that it, it's the goalie stupid and these are smart guys I'm not one of those who <laughs> rips on general managers they're way smarter than I am about you know the, the hockey and and the cap and all that but good lord I mean Mar- Martin Jones had a similar career trajectory uh, to Cam Talbot, and Talbot looks done I think Todd McClellan wore him out and I don't think Martin Jones is far behind. Well, the in, I, I had this interaction with somebody on Twitter the other day about Martin Jones and Aaron Dell, and his contention was that, you know, these are good goalies and how much of this is San Jose's system. And I thought it was a fair point because it's hard to divorce the two from each other. But you look at Jones, you look at Dell, you look at their five-on-five save percentage over the years, and they've it's never really been exceptional outside of, I, I think, like a really short 14-game run for both of them. You know, one of those years where they weren't playing a whole lot, Jones in L.A., uh, Dell in San Jose. But you look at their save percentage, and a lot of it's been bumped up by the penalty kill over the years in San Jose, and that kind of came apart last year. And, you know, I, I look at them and I go, I don't know if either, I, I don't know if Dell's an NHL goalie. I don't know if Jones is more than a 20-game backup. Maybe they are, and maybe they're just getting lost behind this, you know, famously offensive San Jose defense. But um, yeah, that's definitely a situation where you wonder if they look at a Casey DeSmith or or one of these other guys who might be available and, and just try and shore up their problem. It reminds me of uh, um, St. Louis, who went through coaches uh, with Jake Allen as their starter, and they <laughs> they reached down to the minors and they got a guy who could have been, you know, gotten on waivers or for a seventh round pick, uh, and they run to the Stanley. I mean, can you be too close to a problem? Maybe that's it. Maybe. And, and you, you know, you, you make decisions for reasons. Like you decide you're going to go with Jones. You've got, you've got rationale for that. And, and you, you try not to, um, you try not to, you know, knee-jerk correct things because, like, they we had that we've seen that in Edmonton with Peter Shirelli, the sort of the knee-jerk reactions to, especially the summer of 2016. Like that 2015-16 team, they didn't need to do a whole lot to it, but they missed the playoffs. They freaked out. They way overcorrected, and even though they had a good year the following year, we saw the results of that for years afterward. And so it's 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 a tough balance, I think, if you're in a GM's position where you go, okay, he's had 20 bad games. There's some track record last year. What do I do versus I, I don't want to overcorrect? So I I think it's easy to get stuck in the middle. And even once you decide you are going to make a correction, finding somebody who's going to move the needle and finding a deal you can live with and making the money work, it's it's complicated. I, that's not to excuse a, a GM who, who lets a bad situation persist, but there are reasons it happens. I think in my lifetime we'll see uh, the NHL general managers go to signing goaltenders month to month. I think that's the way to go. <laughs> you know, if October it's, it's, works out, we'll we'll sign you for November. <laughs> You'll see guys making nine hundred thousand pro rated one month, jump to nine million pro rated the next month. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
That's right. He's a high draft pick. We trust him for another month. Uh, <laughs> before we go, I did want to uh, uh, mention, because I, I caught it and I th- was fascinated by it, and I would like to tell you that I, I came out with a, a stronger idea about what I'd do, but I didn't. Uh, tell us about the, the expansion draft and the Edmonton Oilers and uh, you and Daniel uh, getting together and, and trying to suss out what appears to be a fairly complicated situation. Well, now that I know you don't have a really clear answer, I'm going to ask you the question, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so so we there's a piece up on The Athletic today looking at the Oilers' readiness for the Seattle expansion draft in 2021. And our last look at this was a little bit early. We did it about a year ago. But I, this stuff's so much fun. Who doesn't want to look at this stuff? So we looked at it again. And this is the point where you should really start thinking about what you're going to do, right? Because... Things happen fast and you want to position your team in a good spot. It's only a year and a half out. That's well within medium-term planning range. And the Oilers have a problem. They're going to lose a player, probably a much better player than Griffin Reinhardt, who they lost last time. And the, the question is whether or not it's a defenseman or a forward. Because your two options are basically you go eight skaters, which allows you to protect Clefbaum, uh, Nurse, Bear, and Jones. But you lose, you're going to lose one of Yamamoto or Benson for sure. You're, you're going to maybe even expose both of them depending on what happens in the interim. Or you go the 7-3-1 route, which is usually the better route, but it means I, I think everybody would probably agree that Jones is the, the guy exposed in that scenario because you protect Clefbaum, Nurse, and Bear. So it's, it's a very difficult decision, and I think it's something that people will look at and come up with different answers, and I am legitimately curious as to what your answer is when you look at it. If you had to decide today, no trades, none of that, would you go eight skaters? Would you go seven, three, one? I, I, I can't believe I'm saying it because I, I know seven, three, one is the smart play. But with the roster that they have now, and, and understanding, I really like Yamamoto and Benson. Uh, I think a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and I and I feel like Caleb Jones is a bird in the hand. I feel like uh, even though he's only been up for two games, he played last year and he looked good. Uh, as 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 good as Benson, I think he's going to be a top nine left winger for years in the NHL. And as good as Yamamoto, who I think has a chance to play on a skill line, might be. I think the play here is to go eight skaters and a goalie. If you're making the call today, I actually, I surprised myself by agreeing with you. I think you, you try to avoid that situation, but if you're making the call today, I, so assuming that you're protecting Nugent Hopkins, he's going to be a pending UFA, but I imagine they'll get a deal done with him this summer. Assuming you protect him, McDavid and Dreisaitl, which of Benson and Yamamoto, I mean, I, I, I know we're way away from having to make this decision, but which of the two do you protect and which of the two do you expose? Well, I think I think Yamamoto has the higher upside, but I think Benson is more likely, you know, injury aside, to fill a top nine role and and you know score you thirty points on a second third line, uh, and and probably be able to play even strength, maybe penalty kill, and maybe even some power play. I don't think he'll ever drive a line. I think Yamamoto is a guy who could be a, a power play uh, helper. He's really skilled, uh, and, and you know, I'm I'm not. I believe in that player. I think he's a really good one. If I had to choose today between the two of them, I, I would probably pick Benson to protect. But in doing that, I understand I'm giving up the the high end player. The re, the one thing that I will say is that that I think Yamamoto to Seattle might be something you could 
make as a deal since he's from Spokane. Uh, and it might be, it might be something that the, the Seattle organization would, would buy into. And you always, I mean, you look for angles, right? But I, the thing about Yamamoto is that, that he had the hand injury and now he's not scoring at the level you want him to. I think he will by the end of the year. I think he'll be fine. So if he starts lighting on fire, I would change my answer. But right now I would probably protect Benson and allow Yamamoto to go to the uh, new team and score 30 goals a year for the next nine years and look like an idiot. <laughs> well, and that's, so I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I think I agree, I agree with all that reasoning. And I'm glad you pointed out the, the Yamamoto Seattle connection, because I think that is something that might matter to them and, and maybe something you can leverage a little bit. Although, you know, the, the situation Edmonton's in they're they're bound to lose a good player and, and maybe there isn't any leverage there, but uh, I, I agree with you. And I understand the risk in doing that because it's certainly possible that a year and a half from now we'll be talking about Kyler Yamamoto as the right wing on the McDavid Drysidle line coming off a very good year and absolutely bulletproof in terms of expansion, like no way you'd risk it. But but for today, yeah, Tyler Benson to me is the more complete player and the um, more likely bet. The the uh, I want to leave here with, with one of my favorite things about about hockey and about following the NHL is how humorous it is. And the last expansion draft was, I mean, I, I absolutely split a gut laughing when, and let's get, let's get it right here. The Oilers wanted to make Jujar Kara more attractive to the new team. So they signed him to a thrilling two-year deal at low money thinking, you know what, if he's going to have all these contracts he's got to sign, we'll sign Kara, we'll expose him, and then they'll stay away from Griffin Reinhardt. And <laughs> all of that happened, and they still took Griffin Reinhardt. And fortunately for the Oilers that they did. <laughs> not that not that Kara is setting the world on fire or anything, but he's uh, a step and a half above Reinhardt. And I think actually <laughs> having Reinhardt out of town was probably a good thing for the Oilers just from an optics perspective because as long yeah. as he was in Edmonton it was going to be a continual reminder of the debacle after the McDavid selection at the 2015 draft it was um it, you know you look back at the annals of time and what happened with the Oilers and that period an hour after the McDavid uh, selection really was a tragedy they could have filled up with two really good first round picks McDavid and and you know, say Barzell, but it might've been somebody else. Then early in the second round grabbed another and they would have been set. And, and all of that, you know, fell apart very quickly. And, and really, I think there, you know, there might've been pressure from, uh, ownership on management, but management has to be smarter than that. And clearly they were not. Yeah. I, it's well, and it's, there's a reason people revisit it so often, right? Like it was a franchise defining moment in a lot of ways. It wasn't the only one, but it, it was a it was one of those significant decisions. And it's gonna be very, very interesting just to tie it back to the present to see how Ken Holland handles some of the situations he's gonna face over the next year and a half because he's had a bit of a crossroads. You know, there's the expansion drafts a big one, the nurse contract's a big one, the Nugent Hopkins contract's a big one. We can even talk Adam Larson potentially extending him, which I, I don't think most people are looking at right now given what they have on the way, but that's gonna be a big decision. So there's going to be a lot of them. Every general manager faces them. But once you get through those points, you're going to have a lot of the core locked up for a long time to come. And um, you're, you're not going to be able to change course easily. So the decisions he makes between now and the expansion draft, I think, are going to tell a lot of the story for the Oilers for the next half decade. 
Yeah, I agree totally. My advice to him is don't make any moves. Nobody can criticize nothing. <laughs> don't don't do anything, Ken. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't you can't run a poll. Is uh, uh, Brian King, who I uh, reference sometimes uh, on Twitter, I think had a poll for about a year asking if Peter Shirelli was a better general manager than a potato. And uh, it was it was it was highly debatable because the potato would have done nothing and the Oilers yep. would have been better off. So you can't have a is he a better GM than a potato uh, question <laughs> if he takes a potato strategy. <laughs> well, I'm going to criticize King there. He had Steve Tambellini as an option and he used a potato instead. <laughs> listen, listen, it's important to assess and, and make some more assessments and get our assessments right before we do anything. It's, it's very, very ben important Eager. to assess. And I've signed Ben Eager, and here's Carol Tulipov, who will uh, concuss him in the Joey Moss game. <laughs> oh, boy. Whoa. That was a weird moment. <laughs> so so there you go. You tried it. Was it was, was Tulipov an uh, Igor Larionov play? He might have been. Like he was. He might have been. So you just, you got to steer clear. Like Lariana, very, very brilliant player, but you got to steer clear of his clients if you're the Oilers based on, on Tulipov and Yakupov. That's, uh, whew, yeah. stay, stay away. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, John, this was fun. Yeah, we're. I think we're way over time. Yeah, no, know. we've we've rambled on. Our producer is going to shoot us. Uh, thanks, John. This is the Oil Can Podcast. <laughs>